Greetings out there in podcast land. Benny here. This week on Juanced, join us for a very special bonus episode of Meet the Emiratis, where Dan and I host a panel of truly amazing Emiratis to learn about life in the UAE and their feelings about their country's new normalization with Israel under the Abraham Accords. This episode of the podcast was recorded live as a Juanced Live event, co-sponsored by the Minneapolis Jewish Federation and the Jewish Agency for Israel's partnership together, Rehovot Minneapolis Partnership. Be sure to check out our live recording of this episode on our Facebook page. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Juanced, on Twitter at Juanced Podcast, and visit our website at www.juanced.com. As always, make sure to subscribe to Juanced on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. It really makes a difference. Before we start the show, we have a couple of announcements. As promised, for the duration of the pandemic, we'll be bringing you weekly updates from Dr. Natan Davidovich, a COVID data scientist and director of R&D at BrainQ, Israel's and one of the world's leading neurotech innovators. Make sure to check out our full episode with Natan. Just like COVID outbreaks come in waves, so comes good and bad news related to COVID. A month ago, Israel impressed the world with a blazing fast vaccine rollout, continuing to lead the world with nearly 50% vaccinated of those over age 16. It made us think that we would have the pandemic in the rearview mirror by March. However, the fast-spreading COVID mutations, which are more contagious among kids than previous strains and are also showing signs of being more deadly, have dampened our excitement and forecasts. This tug of war has left us in a plateau of sorts where we have stemmed the growth of the virus spread but are stuck with dangerously high hospitalization rates despite a lengthy lockdown. While the numbers are dropping slightly, we need to see a stronger reduction in order to feel comfortable with ending the current lockdown. Our best bet to making this happen is greater adherence to the current lockdown and getting everyone vaccinated as fast as possible, particularly in the Arab and Haredi sectors. Our experience here should serve as a warning to other countries on how dangerous these new mutations can be. In the United States, these mutated strains are predicted to be dominant by March. This gives them a little more time to get as many people as possible vaccinated and reduce the general spread before they get hit by the mutated COVID tsunami. To end on a positive note, even though we are still too early to clearly understand the full effectiveness of the vaccine, early indications are that it is around the 95% effectiveness Pfizer found in their clinical trial and that it seems to be effective against the most widespread new mutations. Let's hope for more good news in the coming week. All right, so check this out. Juwant so far has enjoyed tremendous success. We have listeners literally all over the world in every continent except Antarctica. We continue to grow in leaps and bounds. That being said, we want to make sure that we can continue to produce top-notch content for you. So, as we're a listener-supported podcast, consider helping us continue to expand by becoming a supporter today. You can make a one-time donation or a small monthly contribution or become a sponsor and advertise your business or organization on our platform. For more information, check out our newly revamped website at www.juanced.com. A quick note before we begin, the voice in the beginning of the recording is that of Gideon Venner, the Rehovot-based director of the partnership, as he introduces the event. Enjoy! Dan Pfefferman. And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Juanced. We're two Jewish guys. We grew up in America, we live in Israel, and we're looking to challenge popular conceptions 
Think critically, examine independently, and most of all, seek nuance. Each episode will host a different guest. Together, we'll take a deep dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, technology, food, the arts, business, you name it. A lot of it will deal with the Jewish world in Israel, but not all. Our goal? To create a platform where people share their stories, insights, and visions. No talking points, no script, no agenda. Just a deeper, nuanced understanding of the world around us. Join us as we explore, think, debate, and discuss, and perhaps most of all, listen. Juanced. You know, like like nuanced, but with a J? Yeah, they get it. Dude, let's just start. Shalom, uh, good evening everyone, uh, good afternoon, Erev Tov, shalom to our guests from the United Arab Emirates and to everyone who's hopped on this call. Um, welcome on behalf of Partnership Together, Rehovot Minneapolis, uh, and to our guests from other partnerships and from around the world. Uh, as you know, uh, Partnership has been around for 25 years and most of the time uh, we are focused on getting to know each other better. Uh, tonight we are turning our attention further east uh, to uh, learn a little more about the inspiring new developments uh, in recent months in our region. Um, I'd like to thank uh, our, our friends at the Western Galilee Partnership and uh, specifically Gil Klemper who joined us uh, tonight as well uh, for taking the leap and uh, hosting a similar show like this back in November when it was all really new. We really were inspired by that show, and so we thought we would have one of our, of our own. This is how things work in the network of partnerships. Good things get replicated, and we are proud replicators here. I'd also like to thank my colleagues, Elat El and Brenda Gannott, uh, for the initiation and taking care of all the details and uh, uh, putting this event together. Our hosts tonight, uh, Benny Shoulder and Dan Pfefferman, are co-founders of Juanced, which is a nuanced exploration of Israel, the Jewish world, and beyond. Uh, they both grew up in America, and they now live in Israel, which gives them an excellent perspective on both worlds. Uh, Benny has held multiple positions in the tourism industry, while Dan is an author, speaker, and researcher, and also a founding member of the United Arab Emirates Israel Business Council. Um, I'm delighted to see that we are recording. I'm looking forward to lively discussion, inspiration uh, tonight. Uh, Dan and Benny, take us away. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the special Meet the Emiratis, a production of Juanced Live. And we are being hosted by the Jewish Agency Partnership Community of Minneapolis and Rehovot. Thank you, Gideon, for that wonderful introduction. Of course, I'm Dan Pfefferman. And I'm Benny Shoulder. And uh, we thank you for, for that, uh, giving our backgrounds. We'll just add two cool things that, that were not included that are actually very relevant to this. So I live in Rehovot, one of the partner communities um, that's a part of this program. And I was born and raised in Minneapolis. So we are doubly connected to this. And of course, uh, happy to be involved in a lot of things related to the UAE, the UAE Israel Business Council, the Gulf Israel Policy Forum, the UAE Israel Forum, basically take Israel and either UAE or the Gulf and we're somehow involved in it in some way or another. And we have been absolutely blessed to meet 
uh, a lot of new friends uh, and colleagues and uh, from, from the UAE and from the broader Gulf region, which uh, has helped make this all happen. Absolutely. Uh, so just a quick, a quick thing, uh, Gideon gave a great introduction of Juanced, but a little bit uh, for, from us. Juanced, of course, takes a nuanced and deep exploration into issues connected to Israel and the Jewish world with no script, no agenda, and no talking points. We encourage all of you after this to go check out our show. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, on our website, www.jewance.com. And uh, you can uh, find us and see our, or listen to our podcast, rather, on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we host a different, super interesting guest from a different walk of life. Uh, talk about politics, life, religion, culture, sports, the arts, uh, law enforcement, culture, whatever it is, science and tech uh, and food and much, much more. And as always, if you want to take this Juwants Live experience to your community or organization, whether we are introducing you to friends of ours in the UAE or other topics, reach out via our website. That's www.juwants.com and invite us to host or moderate your next community event online or hopefully soon in person. Inshallah. <laughs> in so person. We'd also like to thank very much once again, Gideon and Brenda from the partnership, Eilat and Mark from the Minneapolis uh, Jewish Federation and the Rehovot Municipality for helping make this happen and inviting us uh, to host this show. So without further ado, let's meet the Emiratis. Uh, we have with us four amazing friends from the UAE, all innovators and trailblazers in their field, all active in forming ties with Israel, advancing peace and making their country and the world a much better place, each in their own unique way. They're also friends of ours, and we are thrilled to share them with you. So we have with us the innovator, Ms. Alanud El-Hashmi. We have the wise Dr. Majid El-Sarah. We have the energetic and Hebrew-speaking Sumaya Harib and the inspirational Omar El-Busaidi. Welcome, guys. Welcome to Juanced. Thank, Thank you. So let's uh, very briefly just go around with our four guests and please introduce yourself, who you are, how old you are, what you do for a living, if you're married, single, kids, where you live, just to give a kind of an ID card for our audience. Majid, why don't we start with you? Ladies first. It always comes to the ladies, Majid, always. <laughs> um, I don't mind alphabetically to go first with the letter A in the name. Um, my name is Elunud Del Hashmi. I'm so happy to be here. I'm 32 years old. I'm from Dubai, United Arab Emirates, married, three-step kids two lovely dogs. I am an entrepreneur. I have a role in the government, another couple of private companies. I'm a consultant and a media expert, and I love technology and innovation. And this is why I started the Futurist Company, where I work on future-facing projects. And that's actually how we met, Elanud, because I heard you give a talk uh, as the CEO of the Futurist Company, and it's amazing. You're forward-thinking and trying to make, like we said in the intro, not just your country, but really the world a better place. So Maya, please introduce yourself. Uh, so should I go in Arabic, uh, in Arabic, English, or Hebrew? <laughs> How about a little bit of both? I'm Sumaya, I'm I'm and now I'm going to go to English. Uh, basically, I said, my name is Sumaya. I'm 29 years old. I'm an electrical engineer by profession. Uh, I have created the first... Um, a platform for Hebrew Arabic language exchange in the Emirates. 
Um, and uh, it started on WhatsApp. Now it's expanding to Instagram, Telegram, and it's growing. Uh, and uh, I'm really uh, passionate uh, with uh, the Hebrew language and culture and, um, and uh, coexistence. Um, uh, what else? Um, I've, been, I've, been, I've been to Israel on the first uh, uh, delegation for youth, cultural, cultural uh, youth delegation to Israel. It was an amazing experience. Uh, we've uh, seen lots of people. We've uh, gone to many places in Israel in a very small amount of time. But it was, a, it was an experience of a lifetime. Fantastic. Awesome. Omar, would you like to uh, introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Omar Al-Busaidi. As you can probably see, I'm currently here at Florida State. Um, I go to Florida State University. Uh, doing my master's in international affairs and intelligence. Uh, I'm actually a Fulbright scholar. Uh, I'm an author of a self-help book called Just Read It and uh, not married. And I'm 34 years old. I, I turned 35 in March, which is pretty cool. So. And we're going to use the show to find you a nice bride. No, I have a girlfriend. So oh, you have I'll... a girlfriend. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna find you a shidduch. A shidduch is, is Jewish speak for, for uh, to find you a, a, a me. And Dr. Majid Asarah, please introduce yourself. Yes, hello. It's my pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm not gonna mention that Omar is gonna be our next ambassador to Tel Aviv. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so my name is Majid. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Um, uh, I'm I will be next month 38 years old. And um, uh, I work, my background is low. I'm a general counsel in uh, Dubai government, uh, focusing in aviation uh, and international law. And uh, I also teach uh, public policy, economics, and uh, international law. Uh, I'm a former professor at the university, uh, the American University of Sharjah. And I'm also a researcher uh, in, uh, affiliated with different centers, uh, whether in UAE or abroad, uh, especially one of them is the London School of Economics and Political Science, and that's the university I graduated from. Uh, I apparently uh, have been working on a lot of uh, projects with the government. If you hear, uh, hear about you know, the drones in Dubai, if you hear about um, uh, projects uh, such as, you know, agreements with the uh, other aviation entities in the world that was part of it. So uh, here I am, and I'm so happy to be with you guys. Fantastic. Thank you. So why don't we kick this off, and we're going to start out with uh, a broad view of the UAE. I don't know how many of our listeners are deeply familiar with the history, with the geography, with the culture. So before we get into even anything Israel-related, we're going to start kind of from a broad sweep. Uh, Majid, why don't you continue and just give us a very brief, you know, two minute, if you can do that, um, as we say on one leg, as we say here in Israel, a two minute history of the UAE. When was it founded? What was it before? Who's the original, uh, so to speak, founding father of the UAE? How many emirates are there and what are they? Okay, thank you so much, Dan. So uh, as, all, uh, as if you know, the United Arab Emirates uh, is newly established country. Uh, we go back in 1971, but of course the land has been occupied by people. You know, they have been living here. They have been uh, roaming around this area for many, many, many years. And we can say even centuries. Uh, 
the United Arab Emirates actually in the past it used to be separated emirates and each emirate had its own sovereign right, which means it's very similar to a country, uh, which means, you know, if you want to travel from one emirate to another, you need to hold the passport, you need to go through a border and then you need to enter uh, legally to the other emirate. Uh, and of course, uh, everybody, uh, I don't know if you know it, but everybody says like Sheikh Zayed, may he rest in peace, uh, he is the real founder of the United Arab Emirates. And uh, that was a great achievement. Why? Because that was not actually easy back in the time. You're talking about Arabic tribes living in this area, uh, you know, believing in their rights, believing in their tribe and believing in their uh, ownership of the land. That was really so hard, you know, to unite all of these together. Of course, that was uh, an initiative uh, started by uh, the late Sheikh Zayed. May he rest in peace. And of course, with Sheikh uh, uh, Rashid bin Saeed Al Maktoum, may he rest in peace as, uh, as well. And, you know, together they established this idea of having a united Emirates. And uh, initially, the, the plan actually started uh, in the 60s, so where they had this idea to, you know, to unite all the Emirates together. That included Qatar and Bahrain, by the way. And uh, eventually they had a lot of meetings, they had a lot of uh, gatherings, and they agreed on how to shape the new country. Uh, eventually it happened in 1971. They actually uh, uh, agreed, uh, you know, to unite six Emirates back then, which are Abu Dhabi, which is the capital now of the UAE, Dubai, Sharjah, Ajman, Umm al Kuwain. Ras al Khaimah uh, and Fujairah. Uh, actually, Ras al Khaimah did not join in this year, 1971. It joined uh, a year after, which is 1972. And uh, Bahrain and Qatar, actually, they refused to join because they wanted to establish their own uh, country. And eventually, in 1971, this is the real start of the United Arab Emirates. It was uh, a very simple country, uh, really small population of people, uh, mainly depending on energy, which is focusing on oil. Uh, and then, thank God, you know, with the with the with the with the visionary leaders that we had, they did not only rely on oil; they focused on alternatives and they built this great country. As you see it, I don't know if you have visited. Uh, you've seen the you know the 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 huge jump, you know, from the 70s until now, 2021. And uh, uh, eventually, you know, uh, the United Arab Emirates has established its own framework, the constitution, which was uh, the main statute, you know, to start this country. Thank you so much. Awesome. Uh, Alanud, let's talk a little bit about the UAE today. Uh, put you a little bit on the spot. Um, is it a relatively advanced country? Is it an advanced economy? Uh, for, for example, here in Israel, when people think about our economy, they think about the innovation or the high-tech uh, high ecosystem. Um, what what does the Emirati economy look like? What are its key industries? Uh, and and what career choices do people look into when they're thinking about how they're going to, you know, uh, advance in life? In the past 15 years, the UAE have marvelously uh, built an ecosystem where you can start even from, if we're talking about the future, you know, from freelancers and going to multinational companies, they all exist within the ecosystem here. Uh, when you're talking economically, you can have the international companies already set up here and you'll have a lot of SMEs and, and startups as well established. So we're talking for a, a very mature economical system. The ecosystem is very diverse. So you have different industry and different segment 
there is this uh, concept of free zones that have been helping with these international companies coming to the UAE, which means you can, you can start up a company or set up your company, a branch of your company without needing a local partner. Uh, we have over 40 free zones in the UAE and each of them have a different sector that it, take, it caters to. Um, when we're talking about opportunities from a job point of view, you're talking about almost every skill that will be, um, we were talking about that, which is really funny because when you're talking about technology, you think anyone working in the technology sector will be on demand, uh, required in the future, but it's actually human skills that will be required in the future. In the meantime, yes, technology definitely is required because of the innovation aspect and the UAE is very fastly rapid uh, development happening always with the government telling us we're going to 10 years, we're going to target, that's our target and we need to move forward. It is beautiful in a, the UAE and, and Dubai, I'm from Dubai, so Abu Dhabi have that element and Dubai have that element more than the other Emirates and each Emirate have its own personality and essence, which it's unique with. I don't want to diverge to that, but from a business point of view and economically, we have different segments. I cannot tell you it's it's booming and you're going to see buildings and business only, but you're going to see culture as well and diversity when you when you visit. You'll feel it Im immediately. Interesting. Fantastic. Uh, Omar, here I'm going to throw a question at you. So there's an image in much of the world, uh, and, and you know they even joked about it recently on an Israeli comedy show, that the UAE is a very wealthy place. Everyone's born with kind of a silver spoon in their mouths. Everyone lives in mansions, fancy cars, trust funds. And of course, uh, there are very many wealthy Emiratis, uh, you know, not trying to, to say that there aren't, but let's talk about the average person. Um, you, you don't necessarily have to talk about yourself, but let's talk about um, the average Emirati family. How do they live? What's considered kind of the average middle-class Emirati? What does the average house look like? What is the average lifestyle look like? You know, do most people have jobs? You know, let's kind of talk about that for a little bit, please. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, the, uh, just to add to your question, uh, actually, there's a lot of people who ask us Emiratis, I'm not sure if it happened to Samaya, Majid or Anud, if we have uh, an oil well in our backyard, everybody <laughs> asks this question. That's, that's a typical white person question. And Every, a money tree. You, well, you know, you know, it's, it's <laughs> funny. I actually do have a, a um, yep. an amount of oil uh, in, a, in a container. It's um, Arabian light crude oil that I got for from Saudi Aramco because I did a project for them. So, th so I always joke to people. I always keep it with me in my office and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I do have oil in my backyard. In fact, in fact, also on my front desk. Anyways, to answer your question, now, uh, you, we have to understand one thing, guys. Um, the UAE, as Majid mentioned in the beginning of this conversation, that we're relatively a small population. I mean, we, we average around a million. It's always like either 900,000 or a million people. But we are a minority in our own country, which has about almost 10 million people. And um, as uh, uh, Majid and Anud also expanded in terms of the economy, we sell or we export between 3.5 to 4 million barrels of oil a day. If you calculate that, uh, we, you know, the price of oil is maybe between $50, $60 a barrel, uh, right? And then the cost of producing one barrel of oil is $1. So most of you, I'm sure, can do that simple math and you can see how much money we make in a day only from one sector. Now, the generosity that was um, uh, inspired by the founding fathers of the UAE and especially Sheikh Zayed, may God rest his soul, he, want, he looks at all of us the people living in the UAE, the, the, the citizens, as his children. And usually, as most of you are parents, probably, 
you want to give as much as you can to your kids, you know, whether it is housing, shelter, food, money, etc. So, yes, to answer your question, Ben, most people do live, you can say, comfortably. Uh, we, we don't, you don't, you would never, you, it's very difficult to see an Emirati who's homeless because the government would never allow that. Uh, you would definitely get your, you know, they'll look after you. If you can find a job, there is something like minimum wage. We are, we are basically, the UAE is a welfare state. Just like how you have in Scandinavian countries, those are known as welfare states as well. Or some people, you know, the um, uh, people who are anti-Biden fans will say that's a socialist or whatever. You know what? It actually works for us. If you can provide for your people because that's the role of the government to its people to provide, that's a good thing. So the government does provide uh, housing, free education, free health care. We all have that. And majority of the people do live an average lifestyle. And the, the thing is, because we, we don't have that huge expense for housing and everything else, the disposable income that we have allows us to kind of, you know, most Emiratis are able to, let's say at least maybe able to, they're able, if they, I don't know if they do or not, but they're able to travel at least once a year or something like that and, 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 and so on and so forth. So I, I hope I answered that question. My fellow Emiratis, if they feel like I missed out, you're free to add, but. I need one of these barrels on my desk as well, please. And I'll, I'll get you one of those. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I also noticed uh, something interesting is that um, even a lot of Emiratis who are very wealthy and who come from kind of uh, maybe royal families or very notable families have jobs and have and take pride in having jobs and make sure their kids get jobs and they're not just going to live off their, uh, you know, their parents. Just to add one thing, we're always reminded to be humble because we they always show us videos of how our sheikhs grew up. They had like nothing, almost nothing. So we're always reminded by them, by our own parents. I mean, my personal home, we never had a maid, like a housemaid at home, like a help. We had to do everything ourselves. Like, you know, I wash dishes, I clean the house, I cook, I do laundry, everything. So till today, I'm used to it here in the States as well. So I wasn't that spoiled. Fantastic. Yeah, it was something amazing when I, when I visited uh, Dubai and I, and I got to see the museum, the Etihad Museum, something I recommend mm -hmm. all visitors go and see. Um, and, and it reminded me a lot of, but even to a more extreme, the founding of Israel, where, you know, literally, you know, the Israel's founding fathers and the, the Chalutzim, the pioneer movement, were building this country uh, literally out of nothing. Um, and you can see pictures of, of Tel Aviv in the late 1800s, and it was literally sand dunes. Um, and, and, and there's kind of a similar story, but it's even more drastic in the UAE because even only you know, a few decades ago, there was literally nothing there. And um, the, the foresight of uh, Sheikh Zayed and, and the other founding uh, fathers of your country just absolutely astonished me that they could think, you know, and you see plenty of countries that have oil and have resources, and they don't think that far ahead. And uh, it, was, it was astonishing that your leaders uh, were able to do that. So let's, uh, let's take a jump here from kind of the overview, and maybe let's jump into a little more of the people-to-people -people level of culture, um, let's talk a little bit about food. So, Sumaya, I know that uh, one of your favorite things is Emirati cuisine and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and all cuisines. So uh, I'll get into it with you a little bit. Um, what is what is Emirati cuisine? Uh, what is it to you? What, is, what, what stands out in it? And, and I think interesting for me and I think for a lot of Israelis here, uh, you know, a lot of people, and even in America, they connect uh, Arab food with like hummus and falafel and and shawarma and, and these sorts of things. 
Although, well, and I understand from Dan and that from- could, That could be considered. Yeah, you, you broke up there, but we'll continue with the question in the meantime. Yeah, I, I understand from, from Dan, from a lot of people that that's, that might not necessarily be Emirati food or something that's Do you hear me? From, from the Emirates. We, yeah, we can we can hear you. So what is Emirati food? Okay, do you hear me now? Yes, we can okay, hear you. Okay, great, great. Uh, I don't know why on my turn it started uh, breaking up, but okay, anyway. Um, I am a foodie. I love food and I really, uh, I really agree with you. Um, most of people, when you say Arabic cuisine, they would go to kebab, falafel, hummus, uh, or whatever. but um, there, was, there was no spotlight on the Khaliji food. I'd really want to mention a few and I want you to get to know to, um, for example, we have a, a funny name, Balalit. Uh, for breakfast, we eat that uh, maybe weekly or some people daily. Uh, it's like a vermicelli, uh, sweetened vermicelli dish with an omelet on top. Um, it's, it, it, you just like uh, put a vermicelli in the pan, gold it, uh, make it golden for a bit, add some cardamom, rose water, and saffron, and then you put the omelet on top of it. This is um, sweet and savory dish, it's really good for breakfast. Uh, another dish that uh, is, you can compare it to donut holes, which is called legemat. Basically it means um, like, what's, what's legma in English? Just like bites, maybe? Bites, because it's like, just like donut holes, the same size exactly. And uh, it's just dough that they fry, like donuts, and it's served with um, date syrup. Uh, that's how you get the sweet and uh, with the puff or not puff pastry with the pastry pastry and uh, and sweetness okay and another yeah. main dish I, I would just say if i could the name of of the dish that you just said is is because you're learning hebrew in hebrew you would say for a bite you would say legima mm-hmm mm-hmm very mm -hmm. similar Exactly. So that's, that's the similarities in the language. We have uh, very similar words in Arabic and Hebrew. Lugma is one uh, bite. And one bite in Hebrew is what? Lugema? It's a sip. You said? It's a sip. It's, it's, a, it's a sip. A sip. A but it's, it's definitely like in the same context. Yes. So yeah, lugemat is like plural of one lugma. And uh, yeah, that's how it's explained. One of the uh, main dishes is tharid. Uh, Tharid is basically like very thin bread, um, which is like crepe, you know, like the French crepe. Sure. But it's very thin. It, it becomes really crispy. So you put those, you break them up, and you put like marak uh, basar, uh, which is uh, gravy, meat gravy or chicken gravy. And then it, the bread comes soaked up the and it's delicious. <laughs> you have to try that as well. Nice. I wish that uh, I had it now. Those were like Is three the food? Of favorite Sumaya. dishes. There's Sumaya. more. So, Mike, can you hear me? Can, so, would you say the food is more influenced by Bedouin culture and the desert, or maybe by the ocean culture it's, and like the fishing um, culture? It's, it's a mixture. Actually, it's a mixture because. Um, there are uh, people in the Emirates who live on the coasts. There are people who live um, on non-coastal coastal areas, which is considered more of desert areas. 
So um, for people who live on the coastal areas, you would find more of seafood, like um, um, baked fish, um, some, some things that are not kosher for you, like uh, small octopus <laughs> and shrimps and <laughs> things like that. Um, uh, for example, ferid that I mentioned, or maybe haris, which is another dish that is consistent of uh, meat and chicken, it might be found more in the non-coastal areas. Um, so yeah, it could be affected by the area you live in, but uh, nowadays everyone eats everything. Nothing is hard to get, <laughs> but it was in the olden days that uh, yeah, each uh, people like the coastal uh, areas have more fish in, in opposite to uh, people from non-coastal areas, they don't get lots of uh, fish. They're more into the meat and chicken and those. Uh, but but to, today, the Emirates is, is is this multicultural place where people have come from mm -hmm. literally all over the mm -hmm. Arab world, all over the you know South South Asia, all over the world. Essentially, you there's you can find everything and anything yep. in, in the Emirates, and I'm sure there's exactly. a lot of food that is. You know, probably everywhere. Dan, you were saying that Indian food is, is no, Indian food is very popular. And you yeah, can get any food, type yeah. of cuisine right now. Nowadays, you can get any types of cuisine: Japanese, Indian, Korean, Italian. Just name it; you'll find it right now. Right. And uh, and yeah, I wanted to mention um, because I mentioned the Emirati food. Um, I, I'm not saying that uh, this is only what you can find here. I mean, like people here find takeouts very popular. People love to have pizza, chicken wings, and McDonald's and Burger King, and uh, things like that. And some people like, like foodies like me, love to explore restaurants. Like uh, there's hundreds of restaurants only in Dubai. Like if you spend a lifetime trying to uh, go to every, each and one of the restaurants, I don't think we, you'd, uh, <laughs> <laughs> ever finished Fantastic. even even if you eat it for breakfast lunch and dinner so let's, let's, uh, let's ask the other three uh what name your favorite emirati food and 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 just name like your top favorite emirati food if you can that's tough unless that's you don't tough. like emirati food and uh, honestly for me i'll be very honest with my fellow emiratis as well i only like majboos I mean, what, the rest of the, to be very honest, I think, like, you know, I don't want anyone to hate on me. Listen, I can see <laughs> that on your face. Listen, I'll tell you this. I'm, 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 um, look, I work out. I go to the gym every single day, just like Majid, okay? And I, I'm into fitness and I like to eat healthy. And for the most part, our food is, if you're in that health vibe, it's not that great, like with healthy, unless it's how you make it, I guess. I mean, I'm, okay, I mean, at least you agree with me because there's, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's not that great, like in that sense. For me, me personally, I'm just saying me, I'm, you guys can disagree, but. Can I elaborate I on what you're saying? Sorry? Just to elaborate, the food that we're, we're having today, back then, the, 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 our people, used to go diving for eight months and they used to be very fit and they used yeah. to move all the time. So that fat that they used to consume, they would burn it. Yeah. But now with the, the office work and all of yeah. that, it's definitely not healthy. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it, it won't, no. So yeah. Omar, Omar, you said majboos. <laughs> what is majboos? Majboos is uh, rice with, you can have majboos like, uh, with, with, it's like rice with chicken or rice with fish or rice with, uh, you know, 
I mean, to be honest, like when I have the majboos, I, I know it's going to sound really bad with my Emirati family, but I have it with like quinoa. So I have quinoa with like rice. I mean, it's, it's like cooked like majboos style, but it's made with quinoa instead of rice. So I just replace it with that. But, you know, I don't know. It's just the way I am now. Oh, good. Well, healthy, I, I have... healthy well means health measures. So I'm not getting any younger, you know, like. This is what, uh, you know, sorry, but I have to blame it on the ladies. You want the, ladies, the guys to look fitter now, you know, and everything. You look at Instagram, all these guys look fit. I can't, especially Majid. You know, he's stolen everybody, everybody's heart there. <laughs> no, not me. It's Dan, man. It's Dan. Uh, if you see Dan exercises, he's the one. But anyway, I, I, I would like to get you. Did he get you in CrossFit too? He does it. Oh, yeah. No, no, he, he, he tried, he tried, but uh, I, I do CrossFit too. So, but I could not match. I mean, if he, if he stand against Dan, you know, you will feel like, oh my God, you know, I don't want to go into a fight with this guy. Uh, sure. <laughs> go. So, <laughs> what, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite Emirati food? Yeah. So um, uh, my favorite, honestly, which is the one, I mean, uh, since Omar mentioned, I go to the gym and everything, but my favorite food, which is a lot of carbs, is called arsiya. Mm. So arsiya is like a mashed rice uh, mixed with chicken and uh, some, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know, dhan, you know, I don't know how to call it in English. It's like, yeah. Fat. No, no. <laughs> it's cow no, It's cow to be specific. Okay, yes, yes, yes. So, For those who it is super duper delicious, you know, and uh, I can guarantee you, you know, uh, but w well, look, believe it or not, the best arsia that I'm having is made by my sister. Mm. And, yeah, and uh, I cannot get enough of that. You know, she makes the best of it. Uh, next time you guys, whenever you come from Israel to the OAE, you have to try it. My fellow Emiratis, I'm going to invite you for one, of course. Uh, it's really, yeah, it's really like, it's really a lot of carbs though it's uh mashed rice with chicken gay and oh my god it's uh fantastic i i got I, hungry now you know uh, while speaking though so yeah fantastic, fantastic you know we spoke about foods but there's one drink that everyone needs to try which and is karak tea karak tea people who drink karak tea in the emirates get addicted to it very fast although it's just like tea and milk, but it's uh, cooked in a special way. Um, uh, the tea is cooked like for, it's really steep, like boiled for a long time. And then you add like uh, evaporated milk and add a little bit of cardamom, saffron, or whatever flavors you like. And you keep it cooking like for 15 minutes. Like it's, it's not just tea and milk and it's like really cooked well. So it has like this creaminess to it. It's not so creamy, but it has some creaminess to it. Tea and milk, karak tea. And Alanud, it, it really is delicious. I had it almost mm -hmm. every day when I was there. Alanud, what is your favorite uh, dish? I think it's very, very, very difficult question because all the type of dishes that we have are so yummy because we have the seafood, we have the ones with meat, we have the ones with chicken, we have the ones with fish. It, it's just it's so many options, but if I have to pin it, I think it will be margoga. Which is? Margoga. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's very similar to uh, thread, uh, but it's different kind of bread and the way that they mix it together. So it is uh, bread with this gravy kind of sauce and depends if it's chicken or beef and some That's potatoes. It. 
Okay. The difference, I'm, I'm going to tell you the difference. Hang on, exactly. Samaya, Samaya just, just to make sure we get through everything, we're going to have to uh, cut the food mm -hmm. part short, although I know we could all enjoy talking about food for a long time. I can't. Right. We'll have a whole other food episode. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about, uh, just so people get an idea of what life is like in Dubai, in the UAE, let's talk a little bit about, is there single life? Is there dating? How is arranged marriage or can you meet your own uh, significant other? How does that work? Uh, how does that work in the UAE? Does anyone want to give us a quick answer about that? Yeah, people here have normal relationships. They meet, uh, well, I, I, I'm just going to be realistic and tell you about people around me, right? So there is family members who will meet and they'd fall in love and get married. Some of them they are set to find a particular kind of, um, um, how to put it, like like certain things that they're looking for in a person and they, they would ask the parents to look for them, to find that match for them. But there is a lot of people, dating is something normal. If you want to meet something, someone, the culture appreciates relationship. It actually celebrates love. In every song and poetry, we celebrate love. It's with, within respect, respecting the girl, respect, respecting her family. So yeah, it's very normal. It's just uh, unique in its own way. Fantastic. And, and if someone is Emirati, can they uh, marry someone who's not Emirati? Can a Muslim marry a non-Muslim? How does that work? So I'm an Emirati and my husband is from UK. Uh, but we cannot marry a non-Muslim. That's that's a fact. Uh, not because of religious reasons or it's, it's just religion is something, but it's us. When you live with someone, you have to share the same beliefs. You need to agree on certain things. You know, you want to pray with your partner. So Alhamdulillah, my husband is a Muslim and we pray together and we practice Islam together. Fantastic. Uh, just to add to, to this point, um, uh, I think, yeah, so, sorry. Um, I think uh, whatever uh, Alanud said is completely correct, uh, uh, but maybe just to elaborate a little bit further from a regulatory framework. So um, as per the family law, you know, uh, normally whenever you have a legislation, you would have something called the source of the legislation. So uh, family law in particular uh, has its own source or the main source coming from the uh, Sharia law. So uh, in terms of, you know, marriages and stuff. So. Uh, again, maybe just to add to this, uh, you can actually marry a non-Muslim if you're a guy. Okay, so for example, if there's a guy who wants to get married to a, a non-Muslim, um, you know, female, that's possible. Uh, uh, however, it is only allowed to get married to a Muslim, a Jewish, or a Christian. And uh, other, other religions are actually uh, uh, not allowed as per the law. Uh, unless they, you know, convert to any other uh, religion, uh, actually, uh, from these three religions, you know, Judaism or Islam or uh, um, monotheist. Yes. And as an Emirati uh, female, as per the law, again, uh, it is not allowed for the Emirati uh, woman to get married to a non-Muslim, regardless of the nationality. There is no restrictions, but it's only the religion. Uh, so if, if an Emirati woman wants to get married, the, the husband has to be Muslim, even if it's on papers. But anyways, there should be a, a paper, you know, that testifies that this person is, uh, has converted to Islam. Majid, quick, quick, quick question. Uh, in Israel, a lot of um, older people in the Bedouin community remember a time when they had multiple wives. Is that yeah, something, and, and still do. Um, yeah. Is that something that's that's allowed or practiced in the UAE? 
it is allowed as per the law, but you know, look, culturally you have a lot of discrepancies. So some people would accept it, others will not. It depends on the, you know, the background of the family, the background of the person himself or herself, you know. And um, again, some people would accept it, some people won't. Uh, as per the law, it is allowed, you know, from the Sharia law perspective, you're allowed to have uh, four wives. Uh, but nowadays, to be more practical, it is not kind of accepted, you know, uh, in the culture. It's, and believe me, it's really hard. I mean, uh, one partner, wife or a husband, you know, this is more than enough. So, yeah. I want to add uh, and say, um, yeah, as, as Maj mentioned about, you know, first of all, yes, a lot of people do date. Even yes. though I'm in the U.S., I can tell you what happens back home. Anyways. Number two, uh, yeah, for example, you know, my sister met her husband at work and they've been married now 10 years and have a beautiful relationship, but they didn't meet at work, okay? Um, the other thing is, uh, in terms of choosing your partner, like, yes, you know, as much mentioned, so I have an uncle, my, my aunt is Christian. They met and, you know, uh, and, and as somebody mentioned, I think in the chat, as long as monotheist religions, of course, so Judaism, Islam, and Christianity believe in one God. So then that is why it's also allowed by law. So uh, they, and they have a healthy relationship as well. So as long as I think there's an understanding and stuff, it, it can work if, if that's what you want, you know, whatever you choose. Awesome. Fantastic. So we're going to keep moving forward here and we're just going to remind uh, just for the sake of time of the event to keep our uh, question, our answers and questions kind of relatively short. Uh, real quick, we see here that uh, both Samaya and Alanur are dressed in different kinds of traditional uh, dress um, and Majid is dressed also in uh, in his kandura. And Omar's um, wearing the traditional Emirati Florida State t-shirt. <laughs> let's, let's talk just a little bit about what does it mean to wear the uh, the abaya and the shela or the hijab for women and the kandura and the uh, ritra for uh, for men. Uh, Alanu, do you want to just say, does it mean you're religious? Does it mean, um, you know, does it say anything about your level of religiosity or traditionality? Can you wear Western clothes? Do you sometimes switch back and forth between Western clothes and traditional Arab clothes? How does that work? So for me, um... I think it's, it depends on on the household where you were where you were raised, what kind of uh, family you you were raised in, it, and what is the kind of um, the way they live. Uh, some families they're they're religious and they would like to to be conservative, and that is a personal preference. In my family, in my family myself, I have people who are conservative, and they like to cover. When it comes to me myself, uh, my sister, some of us, and some of us not. It depends. It's a personal preference, as I said. Um, it depends on where I am. Uh, I'm in a meeting, I'm in an official meeting, or I am going out with friends. So it's, it's not like there is a rule for it. And if you don't abide by it, you will be treated differently. It's a personal preference. Mm -hmm. So I can wear it sometimes if I go horse riding or go to the gym, I don't. Very personal preference. Um, some people wear it very colorful. You see beautiful Sumaya, mashallah, she's wearing it in black. So it's That's a very cool. personal preference. Like jeans or, or trousers, you know, shorts, it's up to you. It's very similar. Exactly. Um, I wanted to jump in just to say it's like uh, in Judaism, there's levels of kosherness. Some people are uh, very strict and follow every and single rule. Some um, will not and will have uh, different choices they would want to 
uh, have in life. For example, me personally, I, I wear it for uh, religious reasons. I uh, uh, Lots of other girls I know would wear it for traditional reasons. Uh, they want to keep their traditional uh, clothes. They want to be um, uh, expressing their tradition. And, but my personal choice is to cover my head for religious uh, reasons. And I respect people um, with their different choices. I have cousins who, who would go out with Western clothes uh, and my family, um, like my sisters and I, would uh, wear the full uh, hijab and abaya. Um, and we, it, there's no problem uh, whatsoever uh, to choose whatever you want to do and to express yourself in the way you want to express yourself. Um, mm -hmm. That's how it is. And as, as Anut says, it really depends on uh, the way you were brought up, uh, your personal beliefs, your personal choices. Uh, so do whatever you feel like. But no one's making you dress. No, 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 no. It's a personal choice. It's uh, um, some people, as I said, some people choose it mm -hmm. uh, for cultural reasons. And some people wear it for religious reasons. And some, po some people don't even wear it because they don't feel like it. And it's not a choice that they want to have Fantastic. in life. Ma Majid, what does it mean that you're wearing the kandura? Uh, so, yeah. Um, uh, by the way, just to mention, Sumaya's uh, aunt is a friend of mine. And uh, she doesn't wear shira, shira or abaya, but she's yes. the coolest woman you will ever meet. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so Kandora basically, uh, it's the traditional dress, and nowadays it's the official dress. Uh, so that's why maybe you see a lot of government officials, uh, you know, uh, their highnesses, you know, the ruling families and everybody, they wear Kandora in the majority of the events. And uh, maybe when I was in Israel, uh, actually, I was wearing Kandora and Rutran, Agal, you know, so this means I'm wearing a suit, okay? And uh, and like back in the days, uh, if you go like in the Western uh, culture, uh, it, it used to be really respectful if you wear a suit and a hat. So uh, men usually would be wearing a hat and they will, you know, salute each other by raising the hat and stuff like that. So now wearing this ergal, you know, ghitra and ergal, this is more official. If you see somebody wearing kandura, for example, and uh, having the, uh, uh, we call it asama or usma or sifra, you know, so people would be only, you know, wrapping it on the head. This is like more casual, you know, to uh, to be uh, easygoing. And uh, Kandura, by the way, just to mention, because I had a lot of questions. It's not religious. It is cultural. It, it is the traditional dress uh, in the UAE. And uh, and it's really comfortable. What do you think, Dan? Absolutely. <laughs> Kandura life. I, I, kandura life. <laughs> Majid was kind enough to take me to his tailor to get me a fitted kandura, and uh, we we went out one night. Uh, and actually, he wore his Western clothes, and I wore the kandura, and, and people yeah. mistook us. So let's move on. We talked about, um, you know, we talked a little about multiculturalism and openness. Let's move on to this this idea of the UAE being um, a really multicultural place. Uh, you want to jump in here? Sure. Uh, I, I think something that a lot of us knew about the UAE, at least here in, in Israel, it was, it was talked about is that Emiratis are a minority in their own country. And of course, the rest of that is made up of 
uh, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a large assumption that a lot of it is, you know, the labor, you know, foreign workers that come to build the Emirates. And I understand, uh, as I've learned, that that's not necessarily the case at all. There's, there's people that have moved there from all over the world uh, and, and at all different types and times of history. In, the, in, in many cases, and you guys will jump in and elaborate, the history of the Gulf region is the history of, of trade with the East and, uh, you know, people from multiple cultures coming uh, you know, over, over the course of many, many centuries. So how is that expressed today? How is that embraced by the UAE? And how does the UAE see or Emiratis see people from other cultures? And, and I think that that can be tied into how, how, does, you know, how does the Emiratis see Jews that would be in the Emiratis as well? accept them or, or so, not. so let's let's start with uh, talking about the multiculturalism um and it's not just a you know it, it's not just kind of a shallow thing you guys are really it's deeply mm-hmm. multicultural deeply open to other cultures other religions other languages as omar said i think early on or maybe before we started going if you don't speak english for example in the ue you literally can't go to the store because you know the people working at the store or your waiters or whatever they're they're all from other languages so uh, maybe omar do you want to jump in and kind of talk about the multiculturalism yeah so you know uh, the the beauty again about the the uae is its ability uh, to attract people from all over the world and it did this even before the unification of the seven emirates and um uh, if you come today, like you literally, you mentioned the country and you'll find somebody there. You'll find somebody from like Barbados, somebody from, you know, like Jamaica, somebody from Australia, like all over the world. You have people from every part of the world. It's like, it's, it, I'm telling you, when people see us Emiratis, they almost want to like, we're, we're always the trophy or the token Emirati friend. You know, I'm sure Sameya or Anud or Majid could like attest to this because you know, I don't know, it's a, not because a lot of people, you can go to areas in the UAE, to be honest, and you probably will never find Emirati there. Like there'll be communities. We have a lot of, uh, we all, we, we do have a lot of gated communities, just as um, uh, Anud um, uh, mentioned earlier about, you know, we have special economic zones for businesses, but we also have a lot of gated communities. And in a lot of gated communities, there's some places where you honestly, you can find a gated community that will probably just have like, people from the UK, so Scottish, Irish, the British, and they all live around that area. So it's, it's quite co- uh, common there. But anyways, the, the beauty though of the UAE is it's, it's been its foundation from the get-go. All of us have had teachers, either they were from Egypt, from uh, Jordan, from, I don't know, India, from, uh, from the UK, from all over the world. So we grew up with everybody. Uh, and that's why actually, by the way, I'll tell you this. I remember reading an article once that they say that people living in the UAE are the most socially intelligent people in the world because we know already how, you know, Indians are, for example, or like an Egyptian or Lebanese or this or Brit. Like we already know like their lines as well, like things that they would say to us. We we, we already get that. And, and this is the beauty about this connection with the Israelis. Like I used to always ask this question about the chutzpah in the Jewish culture and stuff. I mean, and this is why why we have so many of these sessions with our Israeli brothers and sisters, because we're trying to learn all this because they were not living in the UAE. I mean, there were, by the way, there were a lot of Jews living in the UAE. I mean, I have a lot of Jewish friends before the Abraham Accords, but they, some of them would tell you, some of them would not, and some of them would think that you wouldn't know, but I mean, from their names, I'll be like, well, if your name's Cohen in the end, I mean, you must be Jewish, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, but yeah. So, like, Rajid, uh, you've had a lot of interaction with the Jewish community. Uh, I know uh, recently. 
Uh, just can you very, very quickly just tell us how big is the Jewish community? Um, how Do they feel like they're part of the UAE? Do they feel welcomed? Yeah, so maybe just to add to what Omar said, you know, uh, we had a lot of uh, uh, Jews living in Dubai, by the way, in different nationalities like Americans, British, uh, and uh, from even Eastern uh, Europe. So they are more than welcome. Uh, the let me let me Dan, please let me add one thing, which which is the policy of the UAE. So the policy of the UAE is all about coexistence and tolerance, and this is not something new. I recall a quote by uh, the late uh, Sheikh Zayed, uh, rest in peace. There was a time they came up to him and they told him, "Aren't you afraid? You know, because of your uh, the balance of the society. You know, a lot of people coming from different countries and uh, they're coming to the to your land. You know, you need to limit this." And he said. The land belongs to God, and uh, the fortune also belongs to God, and welcome to anybody to this uh, fortunate land of the UAE. So this policy actually of his, you know, uh, carried on throughout the years, and the Emiratis, I can assure you, uh, we don't, we don't uh, carry hate, we don't carry, uh, uh, you know, uh, extremism or discrimination. Uh, against any other nationality. Everybody is more than welcome here. And, and by the way, we, we don't feel the difference. You know, we, we are like explorers. You know, we would interact with different communities, with different uh, cultures and so on. The Jewish community here actually started way back in the UAE. And maybe it was just a very small synagogue in, uh, in Dubai and it was totally authorized. You know, you can easily just go and practice your uh, uh, teachings at the synagogue. It was like a small villa in Jumeirah. And, uh, and it was even legalized, you know, by, by the authorities and uh, everything was cool. Uh, I know a lot of Jews way back, especially from the US and the UK mainly. And uh, honestly, look, nobody cared if you're a Jewish and I'm not gonna treat you this way or so. I'm talking about the Emiratis, you know, so coexistence at its best, yeah. honestly. Awesome. It, comes, it all comes to the coexistence. If you come to the UAE, you can see people from all types of religions. The coexistence is not only about the nationality or where you come from. Uh, there's an area in uh, old Dubai where you can find uh, three uh, Muslim uh, mosques. One is Sunni, one is Shia, and one is Sufi, all next to each other, like just a few tens of meters away from each other or even just 100 meters away from each other you can find Baha'is you can find Shia you can find Sunnah you can find Christians Catholic or non-Catholic different sects of them Jews uh, Hindus Buddhists um, atheists fantastic so yep. we, we're we're, we're making want to make sure we get through all the questions including we want to wrap up uh, and we'll get there because a lot of people are putting in the chat function about how you guys feel about Israel, about uh, how you feel about these, uh, the Abraham Accords. And of course, two of you have already been to Israel. Um, before we yeah. do that, we wanna do one quick thing relating to, we talked about multiculturalism, we talked about Islam. Uh, let's connect that to tourism because hopefully soon, uh, we know a lot of Israelis have already been out there and we hopefully uh, many of our American and other listeners will be able to also visit. So I, I can tell you when I went to visit, I felt extremely safe. Um, and of course, people joke that I look uh, uh, kind of Middle Eastern, so and, and I'm kind of a big guy. But I also have friends who aren't as big as me and who who went around even with a kippah on their head. And they felt extremely safe. Um, let's talk for a second about as tourists, uh, people who come to visit. What kind of rules should people be aware of regarding how they behave in public? Can people drink alcohol, for example? 
Um, can women walk around and, you know, can they wear a bathing suit on the beach or maybe wear a, a dress that's maybe a little more revealing than what the local women wear? Um, very, very quickly, can maybe give us um, the do's and don'ts of uh, visiting the UAE, the cultural do's and don'ts. Alanud, you want to? Yeah, I'd love to take this one, actually. I was thinking about it while you were asking it. <laughs> um, it's very interesting because I, I, I lived in UK and... Um, and I've, and I've been to so many places and I always felt when, when you know, when people wear t-shirts and they have like offensive things on it, but it's, it's freedom of speech. I don't have to see it. If it's your freedom of speech, you can wear it at home. I, once you, I see it, you kind of um, violated my privacy. In the UAE, it respects everyone's privacy. As long as you're not harming anyone, you're not disrespecting someone, then you'll be fine as, as, as long as, like, like I, I see you in the mall, women would be wearing shorts. And as long as it's not too short or it's very revealing, no one is gonna say anything. Women on the beach, they wear bikinis. No one will, will come and tell them to cover up. Uh, it, it's just the matter of respecting people's privacy. You will know where you are and as, as long as you just respect people's privacy. And the other way around, it's actually, their privacy, I would not go with me covered up and ask someone to, to cover up while she's on the beach. I'm on the beach myself, so it's if, either I enjoy the beach or I just go home. They're enjoying the beach. So it's about respecting other people's boundaries. Uh, I would say don't swear, don't call names, don't wear something with something offensive on it because I've seen that a lot, you know. Um, and, and in the end, it's just respecting people around you. It's, it's really that simple. It's, it's literally that simple. Majid, um, you want to say something and maybe also, you know, people no, I, associate, you know, you're not allowed to have alcohol according to Islam. Is there alcohol in the UAE? Can people go to bars? Uh, do bars exist? Uh, the bars actually exist everywhere. Nightclubs, bars, you know, even uh, uh, a lot of restaurants, you know, that have the license to serve alcohol. That's completely fine. If you want to go for a drink, if you want to. But the only thing is you don't have to do is do not drink and drive. Other than that, you are totally free to drink whatever you want. It is legalized. It's, uh, it's not something that's forbidden because that's the... Uh, everybody thinks, oh my God, if I drink alcohol, I'm going to be, you know, um, maybe captured or uh, seized by the police. But that's not true. Uh, just don't party too much. <laughs> Go back home uh, awake or maybe just a little bit tipsy, you know, maybe just a little bit drunk. But... Anyways, uh, drinks are allowed and anybody can go to the bars as long as they are 21 years and above. And um, uh, again, you know, uh, one, one, one thing I would like to emphasize is uh, because I noticed a lot of tourists coming to Dubai. So taking a video without a permission is illegal in Dubai. So if you walk in the mall and, for example, take a video of a lot of people, you know, without their consent, that's not going to be permitted. So it is considered illegal as per the law. And if you want to do so, maybe you can just take a picture of yourself, you know, your uh, people with you and stuff like that. If you want to take a, a video in a public place, you should get a permission from the security or so on, you know. Otherwise, just be very careful not to take a video of, you know, of the public without any uh, permissions. Thank you. And I just found out that I broke the law multiple times when I visited, <laughs> when I visited the criminal. Um, so, so we're going to we're going to jump now um, just to be mindful of time. We're going to jump now to talk about the normalization in the Abraham Accords. And if we have time at the end, there's other issues we'd love to get into um, for, for the sake of uh, the audience in the program. 
So let's let's jump to the Abraham Accords. Of course, um, we met the four of you through my involvement in a lot of UAE related things. Um, you know, the, the various uh, UAE Israel Business Council, which I talked about, the Policy Forum, which uh, Majid and Omar helped uh, found, uh, the forum that uh, Sumaya and Alanud are also uh, members of. And obviously, Sumaya, you're learning Hebrew. Majid is also learning a little Hebrew. You guys came to Israel on a uh, Sharaka um, delegation. Um, but l- let's talk about kind of from a personal perspective, maybe, um, and, and maybe, um, I don't know who wants to start here. Maybe Sumaya, you want to start. Tell us what, you know, briefly, please, what did you think about, what did you learn about Israel uh, growing up that now you know is not true? Or how has your view of Israel changed hmm. since this began, or maybe since you visited here? Well, um, because um, my upbringing was kind of unique, so I haven't ever really had stereotypes as a thing. Um, like I didn't consider, I knew about them, but I never took them uh, really seriously. Uh, usually, I'd love to get to know the people, understand the people, experience um, dealing with them before before even having any type of judgment. So uh, Israel and Israelis wasn't really thing, a thing that I was thinking about because I never really had a chance to uh, deal with them, to interact with them. So I, I couldn't really put a certain idea. It was only the things I saw on the, uh, on the news and I really didn't like news or politics to begin with. Um, but Let's come to, to the cultural side. I was always interested and fascinated to learn about uh, different histories, different cultures, different languages, even though I, didn't, I just know three languages, which is Arabic, English, and Hebrew right now. But I've always been fascinated with linguistics. I love to, to hear different dialects and different languages. Um, so I started learning Hebrew in 2014 as a beginning, and then I stopped. And then when uh, the COVID happened, the COVID situation happened, I reignited my passion uh, with learning Hebrew. Uh, It was even before the Abrahamic Accord, which people were kind of uh, surprised that I I took that that step. They were like, why do you want to learn Hebrew? This is very strange. We don't have any relationships with the Israelis or Israel. I was like, it's not really about... Uh, that I just want to explore something that I don't know. And uh, by doing that, even before the Abrahamic Accord, I got to uh, know lots of my Jewish friends uh, from Israel, um, Israelis that are Arabs as well, and Christians, Aramaic. uh, And I found out the amazing diversity and... uh, uh, and how people from different backgrounds live together, coexist. Um, uh, it, it was amazing. I, I, I didn't expect that. Uh, and when I went to Israel, I've seen as, uh, the Kotel next to the Aqsa, next to the uh, Church of Qiyam. We call it ch- uh, Church of Qiyam. I don't know how the it's Holy pronounced. Sepulchre, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Yes, yes that yes. one. It's just next to the Aqsa. And uh, all of them next to each other and people eating together, speaking with each other, ch- meeting up. And, and it, it was kind of, well, surprising to me because I thought it was an area of conflict. And um, I was maybe expecting it to be a little bit more 
tense yes I, I thought the the atmosphere would be a little bit more tense but when I went there it was amazing I I, I didn't well I didn't expect uh, how diverse and multicultural the place is and that that's something I loved I loved the history also of the area it was fantastic. really fascinating amazing Omar uh, is there something that Uh, changed in your perception? What did maybe, what did you think of Israel before uh, and, and after and these accords? And maybe, you know, you were abroad while it was happening. So maybe you even had a different perspective on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dan, I think Hamdan, uh, your new name. Thank you, Anud. Uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you this, guys. I think for me, it's, um, I've answered this question multiple times in different places and it's kind of different because uh, I've explained many times that I personally, I think, first of all, I was uh, brought up in a very multicultural home and we were taught respect and tolerance and everything from a very young age. So even when I did see, as Sumeya mentioned, you know, news about Israel when you're young and stuff. And a lot of the times you would see like the conflict there between, you know, the Palestinians and the Israelis and everything else. However, in my family, we, we traveled when, we used to travel a lot since I was very young and I met Fortunately, many Israelis when I was very young. So when I met them, they never caused harm to me and I never caused harm to them. We were always just having a discussion and never, we, we couldn't start off on a negative foot, on a, on a wrong foot, right? And then I also had tons of Jewish friends as Majid mentioned in the, in the UAE and uh, around the world. And like I said, I've been coming to the States since I was 12 years old, almost every year. And, I, you know, you go to New York, it's like New York. And that's where I've met a lot of friends. A lot of my Jewish friends are in New York. So I've always been surrounded with them. So I never had a negative perception in Israel. I know Emiratis that, to be honest, used to go to Israel, but they used to go through Jordan. They just never <laughs> had the stamp. So I'm going to say it as it is now. I mean, you know, now it's, it's you know, we can say it, right? So we're cool. But I'm saying they came in through Jordan and I took pictures and videos. So we're even. Okay. Yeah, we're even now. Yeah. So they came, they would come through Jordan. They would show me pictures of them partying in Tel Aviv. And I think I mentioned a lot of the times I met a lot of Israelis when I was partying in Mykonos or Ibiza. So what, what oh. was the perception before and after? <laughs> Nothing. I'm just happy I can go. I mean, it's no different. I mean, it's everywhere else. It, look, for me, as an Emirati, it's none of my business to interfere in other politics and other places, whatever. If there's a country that offends my country, that's a different story. But for mm -hmm. us, any country that is good with us, we're good with them. So that's how I was brought up with. Amazing. Anud, you want to offer your thoughts on that? I, 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 won't be, I won't be able to add much more to what everyone else said. Uh, media had played a role in our perception. Uh, different videos and, and, and kind of with sad music and played on emotional level on how we feel. Uh, I think we managed to, to educate ourselves thanks to the internet and, and social media. You'll be able to see anything around the world uh, and see the reality of it. And, and, and you wonder why was there that kind of perception which, which doesn't make any sense to feel it. And We have such a mature leaders who, who, who have trust in us, knowing that we are educated and well enough, uh, thoughtful people who would research and not live on emotions. They made sure that we're educated and aware. So when they made that step, they know that we're going to back them up. 
will be able to understand the future of it and the aspect of it. And this is why you have the buy-in from the people, not only from you know, signing documents in a political level, but it's the people who are actually believing in it as well. Let, let, let me jump in and just ask this because it's an, inter- an interesting question that uh, Dan and I talk about a lot and I talk a lot about with a lot of other people as well, which is, you know, it's, it's perceived, it's not just perceived, it, it actually is that what you guys did in the UAE and in, in, in entering into these accords with us is revolutionary in the Arab world. We've never had a warm peace with, a, with one of our neighboring countries in the region. Um, and I'm wondering, does it kind of put you in certain tensions with some of your neighbors, what, what you guys have done and, and how is it affecting your relations with other countries in the Middle East that have not taken this step? Uh, As individuals? I'm sorry? As individuals? Maybe as individuals, but also as a country. For, for example, the, you know, we have countries in this region that don't recognize us. Uh, you know, we have countries on our borders like Lebanon and Syria that don't recognize us. Uh, and and you know, maybe as a people-to-people perspective, people in those countries may be open to it or maybe they might not, but what has it done for the UAE that you've gone ahead and, and taken the step. Let me let me add this um, on a national level. Um, do you find, and we have here two two scholars of international relations. Do you find um, countries are being more hostile to the UAE because of this move? And on a personal level, uh, maybe on the internet in interactions with people, are people criticizing you, attacking you? Um, you know, we talked to how there are. Muslims and Arabs from all over the Muslim and Arab world in the UAE? Does it affect your interactions with people on a day-to-day level, let's say in your office, if you have Palestinians or Lebanese or or Syrians in your offices, for example? Does it affect your personal life and and does it affect the UAE's kind of diplomatic um, position? I I would have uh, two comments on this, and then I think my my brothers and sisters might be able to elaborate more, but my personal opinion, on on a country level, the UAE have always always respected other countries' decisions. Therefore, other countries respect the UAE decisions as well. I never felt any kind of, um, from our our friends, I have never felt anything negative on an individual level Palestinians, I know personally, have actually respected that and they saw uh, the vision of it and where it's going. Um, I did not receive anything unless it's like some someone hidden by an, an anonymous name on Twitter or like social media account. Other than that, not really. You know, if I can answer this question, I'll tell you this. Guys, when the UAE, let me give you this example. When we said we were going to build the tallest building in the world, or we were gonna build the Palm Island, okay? We were always criticized. Every time the UAE pioneers in something, we always have haters, okay? And as you know, haters gonna hate. So <laughs> when we pioneered this, everybody was whatever, then suddenly they saw, oh, there's this popping up, other countries are popping up and signing deals too. And they're like, oh, what happened? Like, how come you guys are cool too now? So when we start, we get criticized, but then everybody else follows. So that's, we've been used to that. So we're not, I'm not gonna, dwell too much into this now on a personal level i can tell you i mean if i was allowed to mention names i probably would but not today i do have palestinian friends that live in the uae or actually other places as well that that, uh, cut me off like they because of this whole deal because you know when this happened i was in washington dc during the abraham accords and i was being interviewed by i-12 and everybody else and uh, they were saying stuff to me. They were against me and stuff. And you know what is really crazy 
is, you know, if you look at my Instagram, I have a picture here in Tallahassee, there's a temple called Temple Israel, a synagogue called Temple Israel. And I was there with my Jewish friend, Gina. Um, uh, and I have a picture of me, you know, wearing the kippah and, and, and in, the, in the temple. And you will not believe everybody that was attacking me, sadly, they were not Emiratis. They were other nationalities that were saying stuff to me and say, oh, why are you like this? And you're a traitor. I was like, listen, first of all, there's in our religion teaches peace and tolerance and and coexistence then nobody said anything about you know jews and and whatever like it's it's mentioned in the quran you know so um uh, you know i just i just ignored them so there are people that support it and there are people that definitely impacted but for me it's great because it shows me their true colors and i'm glad that this happened and i did these interviews because I, you know i'm in a point in my life now where i want to decide who i want to keep and who i don't want to keep in my life I agree with you, Amar, you know, uh, but let me let me maybe elaborate on uh, on international level. Okay, so uh, I have been through the same. I have uh, a lot of uh, some friends, whether from uh, and I need to mention, I mean, Jordanians, Egyptians. And uh, and by the way, some Jordanians are Christians, you know, they're not Muslims, you know, Christians and whatever. So they blocked me on social media. My account actually was uh, disabled for a while and I got it back after a, a long, you know, uh, uh, discussions and talks with Facebook. Uh, but anyway, let me uh, maybe elaborate a little bit further. So we have seen a lot of countries and for example, the prime minister of uh, Morocco, in the beginning, you know, he stated, he's like, no, the Zionist occupiers and so on. And eventually he normalized, I mean, uh, representing the Moroccan uh, government. So this shows actually that these kind of hate speeches and these kind of uh, propaganda and uh, lies are not true. You know, uh, Israel is a country. This is the rightful land of the Jews for many centuries, you know, and uh, uh, nobody has the right, uh, you know, to, to promote hate against Jews. This is so uh, uh, ridiculous. This reminds us of the Nazis, you know, and unfortunately, whatever they have done uh, to the Jews, it's exactly the same. And again, for example, you know, we have seen a lot of countries blessing these kind of normalizations because this is what's right, you know. Uh, UAE and Israel ha have never been into any conflict, have never been uh, into any war, you know. So what's the point of not having any relations? It, it's so ridiculous. So anyways, we have noticed maybe now we have an agreement with Qatar, okay. However, until today, until today, Al Jazeera unfortunately keeps uh, condemning this Abraham uh, these Abrahamic Accords, which is totally uh, unacceptable. And uh, we all know uh, who's behind these kind of uh, propagandas. You know, we're talking about the Turkish regime. We're talking about the Iranian regime. So uh, these regimes promote hate. These regimes, you know, uh, do not represent any uh, urban governments. Uh, they only work for their own interests and they want to, you know, condemn any kinds of peace. They want to uh, control the area. The Turkish uh, uh, Erdogan, for example, he said, we're gonna cut relations, we're gonna uh, uh, stop any kinds of relations with the UAE, and we're gonna withdraw our ambassador. Why? Because you normalized with Israel. While actually, he, the, the Turkish ambassador living uh, happily you know, in Tel Aviv, and we, I've, I've taken a picture you know, of the Turkish um, uh, uh, embassy when I was in Tel Aviv. Uh, uh, so it, it shows, it shows you know, uh, these guys represent only, unfortunately, they represent uh, terrorist organizations like the Iranian regime, and then uh, you have the uh, Muslim Brotherhoods represented by Erdogan, you know, the godfather. 
So uh, on the international level, uh, and by the way, they, you know, they, they put all efforts so that Al Jazeera, for example, shows, you know, promotes hates, uh, plant these ideologies for the people, you know, and uh, uh, maybe give them a very false content that, oh, these are Jews, occupiers, you know, and stuff like that. And they say, oh, Zionist, you know, I, I swear to God, they keep calling me a Zionist. And I said, yeah, if you, if, if this is how it is, I am a big, big, big Zionist. I don't mind. I don't care. You know, if, if it's peace, I am a Zionist. Fantastic. So Maya, you want to you wanna add? Yeah, maybe I, I wanted to personal... add, yeah, I just wanted to add something uh, related to the people relations instead of like going far away from politics. Um, we can't we can't deny that there is a conflict anyways. Um, and uh, to the people's relationship, some people would get upset, like the Palestinians um, uh, would get upset because they have the mentality. It's the conflict. The conflict is Palestinians and Israelis. And I think they most of them, I'm not saying all of them, um, or maybe like say part of them would think if you are not with us, you are against us. Th this mentality you can you cannot live with because if I am going to befriend someone or talk to someone, that doesn't mean I am against you. And if I'm talking to you, that doesn't mean I'm against the others. So here we come from a, like even from a people's point of view, we come from a, a platform of peace. We are friends with everyone. We accept everyone. We like everyone. But this mentality blocks the understanding of coexistence because if you're not with me, you are against me, this mentality wouldn't let people go forward. And um, this needs awareness. Um, doesn't mean if I'm friend with, with Israelis, I'm against Palestinians. And it doesn't mean if I have Palestinian friends, I'm against Israelis. And I think uh, more people should be aware of how to coexist and um, create conversations and dialogues to find a middle uh, place between the people. And I'm not talking about governments because the conflict has been going on for ages. <laughs> but I mean, the relationships from the people to the people should find a middle ground. And that's a fantastic point. And I'm really glad you brought that up mm -hmm. because, um, you know, a lot of people here in Israel um, you know, certainly uh, the, on the Palestinian side and a lot of their supporters around the world, and we always talk about the BDS movement in mm -hmm. this, but also a lot of Israelis, we should say, a lot of Israelis, it's become too much of an all-or-nothing thing. You're either... Zero-sum game. Right, it's, it's always mm -hmm. zero-sum. You're That's either pro-Israel or you're pro-Palestinian, and, and you have to choose. And, and I think, you know, normal people, um, people of common sense, should be able to say exactly what you said, uh, mm -hmm. and, and it we shouldn't, I don't think we should take it for granted here in Israel um, and the Jewish people around the world what the UAE's brave move did. And I think it's proving itself. I think it's proving itself that, you know, you see the rest of the Arab world and the Muslim world beyond the Arab world um, waking up and saying, oh, you know what? Yes, maybe, maybe we can do this a different way. And maybe, um, you know, by normalizing with Israel and then engaging with Israel, you might be able to have a new paradigm for trying to solve the region's problems, or at least the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I think it's it's um, it's really a wonderful thing to break out of that old binary thinking 
Um, and, and so we're thankful that the UAE did that. And I would say to, so. to some of our Israeli friends who are listening, this doesn't mean, and, and I've had many, many conversations with the Emiratis, this doesn't mean you're abandoning the Palestinian cause. It doesn't mean you're against the Palestinians. A lot of, a lot of Israelis will, will think that. And they'll say, look, they're friends with us. They'd rather be friends with us than the Palestinians. And I think they've chosen a side. Yeah. And I think you said it very well, Samaya, that it's not about choosing sides. It's about engaging with all sides and trying to work from a different um, paradigm. And and I'm glad I'm glad we touched on that before before we kind of wrap up on a on a lighter note. um, And and then if people do want to stay on and and Brenda, you're listening, people do want to stay on and ask more questions. We're happy to continue a little longer. Uh, Majid might have to leave soon, but uh, but we'll, we do want to touch on kind of one big thing that a lot of people don't realize, and I think it is important to point out, and that's the role of women in uh, Emirati society. And we have here two fantastic uh, women leaders, professionals, influencers. So a lot of people in Israel, in the UAE, I know, in, in the United States, in the West, I got this question a lot when I came back. Oh, what's it like for women? Is it like Saudi Arabia where they have to, you know, cover themselves and they're not allowed to drive? They can drive now. And they have to have oh right, and they have to have a, a male guardian with them at all times. And, and I'll share a quick story between before I open it up to our two uh, lady guests here. Um, the first thing I noticed when I was driving from the airport in Dubai down Sheikh Zayed Highway, which is like the main highway in Dubai, I saw a giant billboard for cars. I forget what kind of car company, and I saw three pictures. I mean, giant giant billboard. And the first picture had a family sitting in the car. The man was driving the wife next to him, two kids in the background. The middle picture had three women driving the car and one was dressed religiously, one was dressed kind of somewhere traditional but not too religious and the other one was dressed in a completely secular Western fashion. And then there was a third picture where the woman was driving the car and the man was sitting in the passenger seat. And we know, you know, a lot of things in in the UAE are, it's not by accident. There's a message being sent that uh, women have full uh, equality here. I was even stunned. I, I had a meeting with uh, a few top government advisors, and, and I found that uh, in, in a lot of the senior, senior government positions, for example, women are actually more than 50% of these positions. Please, uh, maybe Alanoud, we'll start with you. How do you feel as far as equality, as far as rights, as far as what, you know, the place of women in Emirati society? Um, we are very blessed in the UAE to have a government that thinks of every individual in the, in the community. It doesn't differentiate men or women at all. Um, and it's beautiful because you see it in everything. Our, our council, our government council is 50% women. We have ministers uh, who are women. Uh, they, are, uh, they are being not only empowered, they're making decisions, they're making innovate, innovative decisions that changing the path of, of the government, uh, uh, let's say technologies and projects. And, and it's not like only having them. So we show people that we have 50% women. It's actually the actions behind that. They're doing an amazing work. Um, there is definitely, there is an equal pay, uh, uh, commu- like, a, like a committee uh, led by the women in the country as well to make sure that uh, there are certain regulations so women and men get equal pay. Um, and I have to be, I have to give it to Saudi Arabia with the recent changes. Saudi Arabia have changed beautifully with women driving, traveling. So, uh, you know, they've been changing. And the UAE have always been empowering women. And, and if I give you an example, there is, um, and I worked in media for over 10 years. There is uh, the mother of, me, of media, Hassa uh, Hassari, Dr. Hassa. And her story 
was even before 1971, before the UAE had come, and Sheikh Zayed used to send her to international events to represent our community. And then he was asked, how do you send a woman back then all alone? He said, because we have faith in our women. Uh, they believe in us and, and we definitely want to prove ourselves. So we're out there and we're, we're doing it. Incredible. So, so my, let me ask um, kind of on a personal level, um, do you feel just, I mean, again, for when people come to visit and again, these are questions mm-hmm. I was asked, can you, for example, walk alone on the streets at night? Do you feel safe? Yep. We're just perfectly on a safe. I mean, like, uh, what last time I read it, our crime rate is below 4%. And those, this 4% is not even like uh, violence, uh, crime. So yeah, I would get out of the house, which I don't do at, 3 or 4 a.m. I don't do that usually, but if I would want to, I would feel perfectly safe to go out in the middle of the night, don't care about a thing, not worried about a thing, and just walk if I wanted to. Can, can, um, can a woman be um, a career woman? Can Is there such thing as like maybe, um, you know, the woman goes to work and maybe the man stays home with the kids or can a woman choose to marry later or not marry and have a career? Like, how does that work? Uh, well, okay, so... Let's first thing is, uh, since the Emirates has become the Emirates, uh, Sheikh Zayed, um, may his soul rest in peace, has always encouraged women to seek a career and to go after their education. So from a very long time, like since the Emirates has begun, women have been educated and have been women of, of careers like doctors, entrepreneurs, uh, engineers like myself, <laughs> um, and um, as as Zainud said, uh, they have really high ranks in the government and uh, in the country. Uh, and, and contrary to uh, maybe stereotypes, uh, women are oppressed. Women have to be controlled. Women don't drive. I've been driving since uh, I got to the legal age of uh, eighteen, nineteen. Uh, I've uh, chosen uh, my uh, my studies. I've chosen uh, to change my studies. I've uh, gone abroad for um, what do you call it? Internships. Uh, I've traveled alone uh, throughout my life, um, and uh, I have a supportive uh, family and community and country. Um, and without all of that, I, I don't think um, things like that would have been possible. But in our religion uh, and our country, a uh, woman has um, a high status and uh, is considered not only half of the community, it's all of the community, if you think about it. She's the mother, she's the wife, she's the sister, she's the daughter. Um, and without her life, wouldn't go forward. And that's why uh, our country has uh, given lots of importance to women and have encouraged them uh, to pursue um, important places in uh, the community and country. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Majid, Majid actually has to go. He's got another meeting plan. Before you go, Majid, I want to ask you two things, please. So first, you wanted to mention the new organization that you are uh, co-directing uh, out in the UAE. And, and lastly, uh, leave our listeners here before you, before you have to get off the call with one kind of off the beaten path 
um, tourist site experience, yeah. uh, not the Burj Khalifa, something else that people should see when they come to visit the UAE. Absolutely, absolutely, Dan. Thank you so much. So I just wanted to mention, um, uh, so previously you have seen maybe, I don't know, the majority of the people saw us in Israel. So that was an initiative. Um, of course, we started uh, an initiative called Sharaka. So uh, Sharaka now has two offices. Uh, uh, one office is uh, based in Israel and the other office is... Uh, uh, which is actually uh, headed by uh, my partner. So we are apparently four partners. We have invested and started this uh, organization called Charaka. Uh, I am the executive director of uh, Charaka, which means partnership in, um, uh, in, in the UAE. And we have already established the uh, organization in the UAE. The, the organization has been established in, uh, already in uh, Israel. And, uh, and of course, uh, my colleagues here, uh, Ms. Al-Anoud and uh, Ms. Sumaya. Ms. Sumaya is handling the cultural uh, department uh, with Sharaka. And uh, Ms. Al-Anoud is a valuable member with Sharaka as well. And um, uh, uh, we're more than happy, you know, because thanks to the Abrahamic Accords, uh, this kind of venture happened. And uh, uh, my partner is uh, Israeli. The other person is uh, American Israeli. He lives in New York. And uh, but apparently he actually he moved to Miami, but he will be, you know, uh, between Miami and Dubai now. So uh, thanks to these Abrahamic Accords, uh, Sharaka was there. And our main goal is to build bridges, you know, between the people uh, from cultural wise, uh, most likely. And then, of course, other aspects, too. And uh, we'll be more than happy, of course, uh, for anybody to join Sharaka. Uh, we will make a lot of events. Uh, we will join a lot of organizations as well from Israel and the UAE. We have really strong ties with the UAE government and Dubai government in particular. So Sharaka basically uh, means partnership. And this is the main objective and goal of this initiative. Uh, going back to the second question of Dan, uh, if you want to visit Dubai, of course, you would love to go to Burj Khalifa and the other attractions. But there are areas in Dubai that you really need to discover. Again, my colleagues uh, here maybe in the beginning mentioned that Dubai is not just about buildings and urban uh, uh, city, but also you have to see the old cities and cultures. And of course, uh, uh, now the, the only person I saw maybe living in this area more than her house is uh, Sumaya. Okay, you will always see her wearing the Abra, which is the small boat that takes you from one border to another. You mm -hmm. have the old city, you have the, uh, the gold city as well in, uh, in Naif area. Uh, you need to go to the desert and see the, the, the camels, see how people were actually living in the past. Um, uh, and by the way, you need to try camel milk. Uh, if you come no here, it's not kosher. Okay, no worries, no worries. But anyway, for this is a must try. Uh, by the way, my family name Al Sarrah means the 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 cattle shepherd, like the person who takes care of camels, you know, uh, sheep and goats, and that was my family's profession. That was so, like a, that was like a plug, like a pitch for your for your family's product. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> you got me there, Benny. Uh, no, no, no. But luckily, we don't have any company for camel milk. And uh, when my when my grandfather died, you know, none of my family members uh, are now practicing any desert activities, uh, except for going and driving along, you know, and having some good time. 
But uh, but really, you know, uh, whenever you come to Dubai, you have the old city, you have uh, the Jabal Ali area, which has, look, you have the Miracle Garden. If you want to have a very good time uh, in nature, you know, see a lot of flowers, trees and stuff like that, that's the Miracle Garden. Uh, and again, I think if you visit Dubai Tourism website, you will find a lot of alternative attractions other than Burj Khalifa. And, uh, you know, you have to visit it, but you need to see the beauty of Dubai, you know, uh, and the mixture of the culture, old and new. Mm-hmm. It's terrific. And if, you it have to get off, and if you have to get off the call, Majid, we, we thank you uh, for joining us. And uh, we really appreciate your time. And people can follow you online. We'll leave uh, your information here. You're on Twitter um, and other social media, and they, they can follow you. Um, Anud, do you want to share with us kind of your, what is your top uh, tourist side or cultural experience that people should see when they come to visit the UAE? Gosh, there's so much. Um, For someone who's living in the UAE, uh, I don't think that there is ever a weekend where you will say, oh, I've done it all. I'm just going to stay at home. Because every week there is something happening. And if I would... We will go, you'll go to all the cool places. You've seen pictures of them, you want to see them. I totally understand that. But get to go to the to the, na- the natural places. Go to Hatta, do the kayaking, you know. Go to Jabal Jais, do the zip line. Uh, the, 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 the UAE nature is built on mountain, desert, and seaside. So go and experience each of that because it's unique in its own way. You'll have uh, companies who can organize all the safaris and You'll have places where you can, the beach is beautiful, especially if you go to Fujaira. It's, it's amazing for snorkeling and diving if you're into that. Nature is key. Don't do it in the summer. Come to come away from the summer. Summer is too hot. Uh, so winter is the, the best winter is in the UAE. I would not want to be anywhere else. I agree. Sumaya, your top not Burj Khalifa tourist attraction. Yeah, it's... it's uh... It's what people see in the media. They see the, the building, they see Burj Khalifa, they see the luxury. And some people are like, oh, I'm not about the city life and uh, maybe Dubai is not for me or the Emirates is not for me. I'm like, wait a minute, you have never seen the nature then. It means that you, you, you haven't seen the, as, as Arnoud said, there's beaches, there's mountains, there's the desert, there's... Um, even even man-made things in the nature that would want you that you would want to go to explore. For example, uh, Al Qudra Lakes is like in the middle of the desert. There are man-made lakes. Uh, I went to the Love Lakes and it was amazing. You can find like fish in the lakes in the middle of the desert. And right when you go, <laughs> right when you go out, there's a whole sand dunes all around this lake. So it, it feels like a like outside body experience, you're just in a little garden in the middle of the desert. It's just, it's like uh, sci-fi in some kind of way. And uh, and uh, as uh, Anud mentioned, um, Hatta, uh, there's the kayaking in Hatta Dam. Uh, next to it, there's like a trailer park that they made like a, a hotel where you can spend the nights in the mountains, you can do hiking there. Uh, for people who are nature lovers. Um, there's lots of uh, nature activities. Uh, you can go to uh, desert safaris where you can explore the Bedouin life, uh, tents, uh, bonfires. Um, 
Fantastic. Try them at Foon. Uh, <laughs> go to the beaches. Um, do some diving. Do some snorkeling. Uh, get to explore the the reefs. Um, there's lots of things to do in uh, in the Emirates. And one of the things that Dr. Majda Sarah said, yes, I do go to old Dubai a lot because I'm a person that loves culture, as I mentioned, and history. And I love uh, how Dubai transformed from one thing to another. So when people go and see Burj Khalifa and all the modern things, I, I beg them to go and see places that have been built since the 1890s. Uh, there's Al Bastakiya neighborhood. It's one of the oldest uh, uh, neighborhoods in Dubai uh, where you can cross the Abra. The Abra is like a small little boat. You move from one side of the creek to the other and uh, you'd see the um, architecture, the history, uh, the culture. Uh, it's, it's really amazing and I think all, everyone should have a look at the other side of Dubai as well, or the Emirates in general. Amazing. Thank you so much. Omar, what is your top destination that's kind of uh, off of the brochures, maybe? Uh, for me, I'll, I'll tell people to go to uh, Al Ain in Abu Dhabi. Al Ain, for me, every time there are people who come to the UAE, I actually take them all the way there because that's where it started. The, from the home of the founder of the UAE, Sheikh Zayed. You go there, and then that's it. There's enough to see in Al Ain. And then, and then everybody else continued the, the rest of the legacy places as well. Unbelievable. Terrific. I, I have to just say for the record, none of our panelists are uh, officially uh, paid by the <laughs> UAE <laughs> Tourism Board. Maybe they yeah. are. Maybe they are. I don't know. Oh, no. It's just, no, no, but it's, it's, it needs to be said. They love their country. It's very clear, and and they travel a lot. It's an infectious appreciation for your own country. And I think I think you can say when you say meet the Emiratis, you can say meet the kids of Zayed, and that's who we are, brothers and sisters of the UAE. Amazing. And love our country. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Amazing. Well, we thank you guys so much for joining us, Alanud Al Hashmi and Sumaya Al Mahiri and Omar Al Busaidi, and we thank you guys and Majid Al Sarah who was with us and had to go. Um, this has been a fantastic experience and, for uh, us and I think for all those uh, watching and listening and who will listen later to this experience. I just want to say also a very special thanks to the uh, Minneapolis Jewish Federation, of course, and to the uh, partnership together, Rehovot Minneapolis Partnership, uh, and special thanks to uh, the co-chair Mark Applebaum and, of course, to the Rehovot Municipality for their participation uh, and collaboration in this very special uh, Jewanced Live and, uh, and just to remind everybody, please check out Juanced. Uh, it is available wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, and follow, visit us. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Instagram. Instagram. Make sure. www.juanced.com. Uh, we've got some terrific episodes that we've done recently, and we've gonna, we're going to have some great ones in the future as well. Every week uh, debuts on Thursday uh, or Friday morning. Uh, and, and that's it, everybody. So thank you very much. And, uh, and have a wonderful week. Yep. Take care. Everybody. Laila Tov. Laila Tov. Masal Khair. Bye. All right. The music is done. Still have some people on as they get off. But guys, you guys were amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. It was awesome. As are we. 
I know she said she's very happy. Yeah, I did not get it. I was like, okay, she's showing. Finally, finally, I can speak some Hebrew. Like, I'm like, oh. I, I guess if there are Israelis or those who speak Hebrew on the line and they want to, and you want to keep talking, yeah. you're welcome to. Our show you can unmute like, yourself now. Did you get <laughs> אבל אני רוצה לנפגש עם חברים שלי. להיפגש, כן, נהדר. להיפגש, כן. נשמח מאוד, נשמח מאוד לארח אתכם ברחובות וארוחות ביתיות, בפעם הבאה שתבואו. גם אני שמחה להפגש אתכם. אני... אני רוצה ללכת לישראל שתי פעמים, is that right? פעמיים. פעמיים, פעם שנייה. פעם שנייה, yeah. anyways, nice to meet you all. and I've had, I put my, what do you call it? I put my ad down, if anyone wants to contact me, it's Samoy Harib, and I have my language, Instagram account, shafa.middleeast, M-E. And nice to meet you all, and have a nice day Thank or night. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good day for you. Take care. Shukran. Thank you, everybody. Juanced is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan Pfefferman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at juanced.com and feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you back for the next episode of Juanced.